Welcome to episode one of Christmas, the Nativity of Our Lord. I'm Father Ron Shibley, founder and director of the Anglican Internet Church. This program is one of the AIC's teaching videos on the seasons on the Anglican Church calendar. Revisions to this series are part of the AIC celebration of the start of its second decade on the web. The opening and closing theme music for this series is an arrangement of the famous carol It Came Upon the Midnight Clear, written by Edward Hamilton Sears in 1846 A.D. and arranged to the tune Carol, composed by Richard Storrs Willis in 1850 A.D. In episode one, I will discuss the evolution of the Christmas tradition, Anglican traditions of Christmas, including liturgical changes for the season, and the two sets of collect epistle and gospel readings for Christmas Day in the 1928 Book of Common Prayer, illustrated with illuminations, etchings, mosaics, icons, and stained glass windows of the Nativity from the 10th through the early 20th century. The name Christmas is a modernized version of a Middle English word, Christmas, literally meaning Christ's Mass, which was first used in 1038 A.D. The title, The Nativity of Our Lord, was added to the Book of Common Prayer in the 1662 A.D. edition based upon the Latin Deis Nativitas, or Nativitas in modern usage, meaning day of birth or birthday. Other names for Christmas in the Anglican tradition are Yuletide from the Old English G-E-O-L-E, which was originally a celebration of winter during December and January, and Noel, N-O-E-L, or in the English usage N-O-W-E-L-L, from the French word Noel. The illustration is a stained glass window at St. Mary's Church, not identified by the vendor, but believed to be St. Mary's Episcopal Church, Green Cove Springs, Florida, attributed to New York City stained glass artist Henry Sharp. Neither St. Matthew nor St. Luke's nativity accounts mention a date for the birth of Jesus Christ. The oldest reference to a church service in honor of Christ's birth is a late 2nd, early 3rd century observation by St. Clement of Alexandria, founder of the first Christian catechetical school, of a nativity celebration around May 25th. The earliest official celebration in the Western Church, according to the early 20th century edition of the Catholic Encyclopedia, was at Rome in 336 A.D. during the final days of the reign of the Emperor Constantine, who had moved the center of the empire to Constantinople, then known as Byzantium. By the end of the 4th century in the Eastern Church, St. John Chrysostom, Bishop of Constantinople, urged Eastern Church Christians to celebrate Christmas on December 25th, nine months after the Annunciation celebration on March 25th. This explanation was officially accepted by the Church of England in the early 1990s A.D., as I noted in the AIC seasonal video, Advent, a season of penitence and preparation, the beginning of the Feast of Advent is directly related to the 4th century acceptance of the celebration of Christmas in December. 
In the AIC seasonal video Epiphany, the Manifestation of Christ to the Gentiles, I note that the celebration of Christmas was combined with that of Epiphany in the early church in the East and, in fact, in many parts of the Western church. Another theory of why Christmas came to be celebrated on December 25th is that Roman authorities, including the Emperor Constantine, sought to associate Christianity with the popular celebration at Rome of the winter solstice on December 25th, a date associated with the sun god Invictus, following the precedent of Emperor Aurelius in 274 A.D., the modern celebration of the winter solstice is the night of December 21st-22nd. In the Christian worship tradition, connections are made between Christ and heavenly light in both the Old and the New Testament. In chapter 4, verse 2, the prophet Malachi wrote, But to you who fear my name, the Son of Righteousness shall arise with healing in his wings. In the preamble to his gospel, St. John called Jesus, quote, the true light, which gives light to every man coming into the world, from John 1, 9, which is part of the gospel reading for Christmas Day. In 1 John 1, verses 5, 6, and 7, St. John wrote that God is light. The illustration is an early 14th century oil on panel of the prophet Malachi by the celebrated Italian artist Duzio di Buoninsena from the collection at Siena Cathedral, Siena, Italy. Even more vividly, in Revelation 21, verses 23 and 24, St. John described the New Jerusalem as a place without either sun or moon. He said, the city had no need of the sun or of the moon to shine in it, for the glory of God illuminated it. The Lamb is its light, and the nations of those who are saved shall walk in its light. All four of the quotations above are read in O Orion's, or 5th Antiphon, for December 25th in the great O Antiphon's office for Advent, developed in the 12th century in the Roman tradition. There is more on the O. Antiphon's tradition later in this episode. The illustration is an illumination in tempera and gilt on vellum from the early 11th century manuscript, The Bamberg Apocalypse, as it was used in the AIC bookstore publication, Revelation, an Idealist Interpretation. The popularity of the celebration of Christmas wavered in the next few centuries but was brought back to prominence with the coronation of a new Holy Roman Emperor, the first in the West for three centuries when the Frankish King Charlemagne was coronated in Old St. Peter's Basilica at Rome on Christmas Day, 800 A.D. by Pope Leo III. The name Charlemagne, which literally says Charles the Great, is spelled C-A-R-O-L in Latin, Thus, Charlemagne's reign and that of his successors is called the Carolingian era. The Carolingian Empire was centered at the city of Aachen in present-day Germany. It was Emperor Otto III, a successor to Charlemagne, who commissioned the Bamberg Apocalypse, which included 51 illuminations of Revelation plus an early lectionary used in the previous slide. 
The illustration showing the coronation of Charlemagne is from a French second quarter 14th century illustrated history. In continental Europe, the Feast of Christmas enjoyed widespread popularity, but in England, Christmas celebrations were opposed by the Puritans during the Civil War and during Cromwell's Commonwealth in the 1640s and 1650s. Christmas was restored to the church calendar after the restoration of the monarchy under Charles II in 1660 A.D., in Scotland and among many English people, especially those who considered it a symbol of, quote, popery, unquote, Christmas was either banned or just ignored. The turning point in popular acceptance of Christmas came during the reign of Queen Victoria, whose husband, Prince Consort Albert, brought to England the use of the German-style Christmas tree. The true turning point in popular culture was the publication of A Christmas Carol in prose, being a ghost story of Christmas at Christmas 1842-1843. The book written by Charles Dickens with illustrations by John Leach was amazingly popular. Around the same time, songs of Christmas, called carols, were introduced from France and were quickly broadened into huge popularity in England with roving bands of carolers singing on the public streets of London and throughout England. Many of the Trinitarian hymns familiar to Anglicans appeared during the period from 1830 to 1900 A.D. I'll the music of Christmas in Episode 2. Other developments in the same era were the introduction of nativity scenes or crutches in local parishes and, in many, the production of nativity pageants throughout the holiday. The illustration is Marley's Ghost, which appeared opposite page 25 in the original edition of A Christmas Carol from the collection of the British Library. The Feast of Christmas, or Christmastide, brings many changes to Anglican liturgical practices. The color for Christmastide is white, the color of all feasts of the Savior. White is used for stoles, pyramids, chasubles, and for the draping of crosses. Other traditions for Christmastide include the lighting of the Christ candle, the central white candle in the Advent wreath at the first service on Christmas Day. The origin of the Advent wreath was discussed in the AIC seasonal video series Advent, a Season of Penitence and Preparation. Other changes include the resumption of congregational singing of the Gloria, also of Alleluia's, and of processionals in those jurisdictions which suspended them for Advent. In parishes which offer a midnight Mass for Christmas Eve, the church bell is often rung at midnight, customarily 12 times. In my former parish, after the bell rang, we sang It Came Upon the Midnight Clear, the opening and closing music for this series. The rubric on page 90 of the 1928 Book of Common Prayer, added in the 1892 Book of Common Prayer, authorizes the transfer of services to the evening of the day before, enabling parishes to begin a celebration of Christmas Day before the arrival of midnight. Christmas Tide also brings four other important liturgical changes. 
Although the focus of this series is on the Holy Communion Liturgy, it is important to note two changes to morning and evening prayer, each of which has a unique opening sentence for morning prayer. The opening sentence is from Luke 2, verses 10 and 11. Behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. For evening prayer, the opening sentence is Revelation chapter 21, verse 3, the words of a proclamation by the voice from heaven accompanying the descent of the new Jerusalem. Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people, and God himself shall be with them and be their God. The illustration is St. Paul's Cathedral, London, England, official church of the Bishop of London, decorated outside with a Christmas tree in the foreground, with the picture taken on December 28, A.D. 2014. Another change to morning prayer is the verse and response to be said before the reading of the Venite. Alleluia, unto us a child is born, to which the response is, O come, let us adore him, Alleluia. Turning now to the Holy Communion liturgy, there is a proper preface to be read throughout the octave, or eight days, of Christmas. Because thou didst give Jesus Christ thine only Son to be born, as at this time for us, who by the operation of the Holy Ghost was made very man of the substance of the Virgin Mary his mother, and that without spot of sin to make us clean from all sin. In the 1928 Book of Common Prayer, there are two sets of collect, epistle, and gospel readings for Christmas Day. In the Roman tradition, before the first prayer book, there were three. The second set of readings in the 1928 book are to be used as the first service of the day when more than one Holy Communion service is offered on Christmas Day. However, it is only the first collect which is read throughout the octave of Christmas. The first collect for Christmas Day was written by Archbishop Cranmer for the 1549 Book of Common Prayer. Minor word changes, such as, as at this time in place of on this day, were made with the 1662 Book of Common Prayer to accommodate the use of the Christmas collect throughout the octave. Scholars have credited John 1 verse 9, part of the gospel reading for the day, and 1 John 1 5, 6, and 9 as the primary scriptural sources for this highly theological collect. Almighty God, who hast given us thy only begotten Son to take our nature upon him, and as at this time to be born of a pure virgin, grant that we, being regenerate and made thy children by adoption and grace, may daily be renewed by thy Holy Spirit through the same our Lord Jesus Christ, who liveth and reigneth with thee and the same Spirit ever, one God, world without end. Amen. The illustration used in the title slides for this series is an illumination in colored inks and gilt on parchment from the Codex Egberti, a gospel book made between 980 and 993 A.D. at the Scriptorium 
at Reichenau Monastery, Reichenau, Germany, for the use of Bishop Egbert of Trier from the collection of the Wissenschaftliche Bibliothek der Stadt Trier, Trier, Germany, formerly known as the Trier City Library. The epistle reading, paired with the first collect for Christmas Day, is Hebrews 1, 1-12, traditionally credited to St. Paul, but in modern times to unknown authors. It is similar in content and meaning to the Nicene Creed offered to the Hebrews as proof or instruction on Jesus Christ who came in the old place of the prophets as perjurer of the sin of mankind, seated at the right hand of God the Father, superior to the angels, here citing Psalm 2 verse 7, given the scepter of righteousness by the Father who anoints him with the oil of gladness. The illustration is a Munich-style stained-glass window of the Nativity by the renowned German stained-glass artist F.X. Zettler at St. Gertrude's Church, Stockholm, Sweden. The imperishable nature of Jesus Christ is explained in the final two verses, which are based on Psalm 102, verse 2. Thou, Lord, in the beginning hast laid the foundation of the world, and the heavens are the work of thine hands. They shall perish, but thou remainest, and they all shall wax old as doth a garment, and as a vesture shalt thou fold them up, and they shall be changed, but thou art the same, and thy years shall not fail. The illustration is a detail of the creation mosaic showing Jesus Christ setting the moon and the stars in the Genesis Dome in the West Atrium at the Basilica of St. Mark, added to the original 9th century basilica in the 13th century. The Gospel reading paired with the first collect for Christmas Day is John 1, verses 1 to 14, St. John's unique preamble, or in musical terms, prelude to his Gospel. Unlike the synoptic Gospels of St. Matthew, Mark, and Luke, St. John's Gospel does not offer a history, but instead explains the message of Jesus Christ in spiritual and theological terms. St. John's Gospel was written around 96 AD, years after the last of the synoptic Gospels. The pace and word choice strongly suggest a spoken rather than written composition. Some artistic depictions show St. John dictating his gospel to a scribe. The illustration is St. John writing his gospel, a late 10th century illumination in colored inks and temperer on parchment from a gospel book prepared for the Ottonian dynasty among the successors of Charlemagne in the revived Holy Roman Empire in Western Europe from the digital collection of the New York Public Library. The Gospel of St. John is a very theological gospel. St. John's emphasis is upon the spiritual meaning rather than the purely historical facts. It has no nativity narrative or genealogy comparable to Matthew chapter 1 and Luke chapters 2 and 3. St. John assumes readers already have knowledge of these historical facts and tells instead a spiritual-minded account focused on Jesus Christ, whom he identifies and labels as the Word with a capital W from the Greek Logos. In the opening two verses, he takes readers back to the same opening words used in the book of Genesis, 
and sets thereby a foundation for all Christian theology and worship. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. He was in the beginning with God. The illustration is again one of the 13th century creation scenes in the Genesis Dome at the Basilica of St. Mark, Venice, Italy, begun in the 9th century and containing the remains of St. Mark. St. John leaves readers with no doubts about his meaning, and in verses 3, 4, and 5 further identifies Jesus as not only the Word or Logos, but also the Light, and further establishes his role in the creation. Listen carefully, as the writers of the Nicene Creed in the 4th century obviously did, to these very theological words which are similar to Luke 2, verse 79 from the Benedictus or Song of Zacharias. All things were made through him, and without him nothing was made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men, and the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. In verses 6, 7, and 8, he makes four more references to Jesus as the light and identifies John the Baptist, whom he will introduce later in verse 19, not as the light, but as the one sent from God to bear witness of the true light, who is Jesus Christ, who, quote, gives light to every man coming into the world. That's verse 9. The illustration is a detail of John the Baptist, also known as the forerunner and last prophet of the Old Testament from a traditional Eastern Church icon of the resurrection, probably from the 14th or 15th century. The second collect for Christmas Day is also a composition by Archbishop Cranmer for the 1549 Book of Common Prayer. It was adapted from two sources, an Advent Collect in the Gelasian Sacramentary and a Christmas Vigil Mass from the Gregorian Sacramentary as that document was used in the Sarum Missal. Medieval Sarum is modern Salisbury, England. Archbishop Cranmer changed the opening sentence to make it more specific to worship throughout the octave of Christmas Day rather than just on Christmas Day saying, The yearly remembrance of the birth of thine only Son, Jesus Christ. The Sarum Missal referred to the expectation of the same event. The Collect emphasizes themes of both Advent and Christmas. O God, who makest us glad with the yearly remembrance of the birth of thine only Son, Jesus Christ, grant that as we joyfully receive him for our Redeemer, so we may with sure confidence behold him when he shall come to be our judge, who liveth and reigneth with thee and the Holy Ghost, one God, world without end. Amen. The illustration is an illumination in colored inks and gilt on paper from a book of hours made circa 1420 A.D. in the Netherlands, credited to the master of the Morgan Infancy Cycle from manuscript additional number 50005 in the British Library, London, England. I applied perspective correction to the original image. The epistle reading paired with the second collect for Christmas Day, is Titus 2, verses 11 to 15, which Eastern Church scholars believe was written around 63 to 65 A.D. after St. Paul's release from his first imprisonment at Rome. 
St. Paul acknowledges Jesus as both, quote, great God and Savior in verse 13, who, quote, appeared to all men, unquote, in verse 11, and who came to redeem the faithful in verse 14. The pericope includes a short lesson in Christian ethics in verses 12 and 14, advising Titus to deny bodily lust, live soberly and righteously, and to remain zealous for good works. St. Paul referred to the, quote, hope, unquote, of his second coming and called Christians a peculiar people. The meaning is clarified in the New King James text with the phrase, his own special people. The illustration is an Eastern Orthodox icon of Christ the King. The date and location is not specified. The second gospel reading for Christmas Day is Luke 2, verses 1 to 14. St. Luke's nativity narrative, most likely written while St. Luke was in Greece or in Asia Minor between 70 and 80 A.D., based on information he gathered from eyewitnesses and participants in the event he describes. This pericope is read in virtually all nativity pageants and includes these famous words describing events when Jesus and Mary were in Bethlehem to meet the requirements of a taxation census. This is verse 7. And she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. The illustration is an illumination in colored inks on paper in a collection of prayers and gospel lessons attributed to the master of the dark eyes, the Netherlands or possibly northern England between 1490 and 1510 A.D. in the collection of the British Library from manuscript Harley number 1892, folio 8V. The meaning of these verses is explained in St. Luke's unique description of the visit of an angel to nearby shepherds, including the familiar angelic pronouncement in King James language and prayer book language, Be Not Afraid, and characterized by the universality of the message. Behold, an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them, and they were greatly afraid. Then the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be to all people. The illustration is the Annunciation to the Shepherds, a Byzantine-style full-page illumination in tempera and gilt on vellum from the Pericope Book of Henry II, the last of the Saxon Holy Roman Emperors prepared between 1007 and 1012 A.D. by artists at the Scriptorium at Reichenau Monastery, Reichenau, Germany, from the collection of the Bavarian State Library in Munich, Germany. The final quotation in the pericope includes the Gloria in Excelsis, one of the four songs unique to the Nativity story in the Gospel of St. Luke. The illustrations are two apse paintings from St. Joseph's Villa Chapel, Richmond, Virginia, from the AIC bookstore publication, Paintings on Light. For there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord, and this will be a sign to you. You will find a babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger, and suddenly... 
there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. Other AIC resources relative to topics, keywords, and phrases or persons mentioned in this episode include our Christian education video series, The Lives of the Saints. In the first series, episode 4, the focus is on St. John, whose feast day is December 27th. St. Paul, whose feast day is January 25th, is the focus of episode 5. St. John the Baptist, whose feast day is June 24th, is in episode 10. St. Luke, whose feast day is October 18th, in episode 15. The importance of the Emperor Constantine and his mother Helen in the discovery of Christian relics in the Holy Land and the buildings and cathedrals in Jerusalem and Bethlehem, including the Church of the Nativity on the site of Jesus' birth, are discussed in Episode 4 in our series, The War on Christianity. The development of the Christian doctrine of the Nativity is discussed in several episodes in our series, The Nicene Creed, especially episodes 4 through 7, the latter focused on clarifications adopted in paragraph 2, the section concerning Jesus Christ at the Council of Constantinople in 381 A.D. In the AIC seasonal video series, The Twelve Days of Christmas, on the first day, December 25th, the theological theme word is love. On the ninth day, December 31st, the theme word is angels. And on the twelfth day, January 5th, the theological theme words are glorifying God. In the AIC Bible study series, New Testament Gospels, from the Gospel of St. Luke, the Nativity Narrative and the Benedictus or Song of Zacharias are discussed with illustrations in episode 13 and episode 14. The theme of light versus darkness is discussed in episode 22. From the Gospel of St. John, his prelude or preface and reference to John the Baptist is found in episode 25, and his theme of Jesus as light and the corollary light versus darkness is in episode 40. Episodes in Christian Education and Seasonal Video Series are linked from the Digital Library page. Episodes in Bible Study Series are linked from the Bible Study New Testament pages. Podcast versions of all three are linked from the Podcast Archive page. On the Podcast Homilies page, the Podcast Homily for Christmas Day, in which the theme word is love, a gift from God. From the AIC Bookstore. In the Gospel of Luke, annotated and illustrated, presented in 272 pages with 111 illustrations from the 5th through the early 20th century, Luke's nativity narrative is discussed and illustrated in chapter 2. In the Gospel of John, annotated and illustrated, presented in 198 pages with 86 illustrations, John's prelude, including the concept of Jesus as the light coming into the darkness of the world, is discussed and illustrated in chapter 1. In Layman's Lexicon, in which entries of interest are Advent, Angels and Archangels, the Benedictus Collect, Epiphany, Gloria in Excelsis, Heavenly Hosts, Light, Preface, Proper Preface, Prophet, Second Coming, the Venite, and Witness. 
in the writing prophets of the Old Testament, the life and major themes of the prophet Malachi are discussed and illustrated in Part 3, Chapter 12, pages 111 to 116. And in Paintings on Light, the scenes from the Nativity murals are illustrated on pages 50 to 51. In Revelation, an idealist interpretation, St. John's observation in Revelation 21, verses 23 and 24, that Jesus was the light in the New Jerusalem, and the concept of created versus uncreated light is discussed on pages 173 to 182. Information about all our AIC bookstore publications can be found by using the virtual bookstore link at the bottom of the homepage at www.anglicaninternetchurch.net or directly using my Amazon author central page https colon right slash right slash www.amazon.com right slash author right slash Ronald hyphen e hyphen Shibley. Please note that everything after dot com must be in lowercase letters. Finally, there is Father Ron's blog, a page in which I post new information, usually weekly, generally including at least one graphic from our archive of historic church art from the Eastern and Western church traditions. You can reach the blog page by clicking the Father Ron's blog tab from the site menu at the top or bottom of the website pages, or you can enter a direct URL address, http colon slash slash www anglicaninternetchurch.net right slash blog. Once on the blog page, I invite you to become a follower by clicking the Follow Anglican Internet Church legend. You'll then be asked to enter your email address to receive notice of each new posting from our site host, wordpress.com. Thank you for joining me for Episode 1. Next time in episode two, I will discuss the collect epistle and gospel readings for first Sunday after Christmas and second Sunday after Christmas. The AIC seasonal video series, The Twelve Days of Christmas, plus music for Christmas in the St. Chrysostom hymnal and not in the venerable 1940 hymnal. Until next time, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be merciful to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Amen. Glory be to God for all things. Amen. This program has been a presentation of the Anglican Internet Church. We invite you to visit our website and make use of its resources at www.anglicaninternetchurch.net.